Chapter 16 Doubts and How to Dispel Them It is not strange that men are doubters. Sin has so blinded our moral vision that we do not see the truth as it is, but in a distorted fashion, which makes it less attractive. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14 Furthermore, the truth as it is in Jesus carries with it the condemnation of the sinner, and no one enjoys reproof or rebuke. As the lawyer, willing to justify himself, said, Who is my neighbor? So the natural heart questions the authority of the Bible and even the existence of God, rather than confess its sin. Add to this the fact that the devil, who first injected doubt into man's mind and is rightly called by our Savior the Father of Lies, is ever seeking to prejudice the creature against his Creator. It is not strange that all thinking people pass through a period of doubt about the fundamentals of religion, and some are so completely blinded that they never come out of their spiritual darkness. In dealing with doubters, it is important to determine their real position. Some skeptics are mere triflers who are too lazy to grapple with the truth in a determined way and find it easier to doubt and drift with the current of their natural inclinations. Others use their skepticism as a cover for an ungodly life. You can say to such when they question the inspiration of the Bible that one proof of its divine origin is the fact that it describes their condition so completely and tells how they came into that condition. Naturally, they will wish to see the passage, and you can show them 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Remind them that to doubt the Bible does not alter the facts which it reveals, but it does subject them to the charge of making God a liar. 1 John chapter 5, verse 10 and puts them under condemnation. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. John chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. It is said that a vessel once sighted an enemy at sundown and kept up a cannonade until the darkness put a stop to it. When the sun arose the next morning, they were chagrined to find that the supposed enemy was an immense rock that remained intact after many hours of bombarding. So in all ages, men have been demolishing the Bible as the enemy of the human race, but the old book still stands, silent but solid as the rock of ages. For trifling skeptics, John chapter 8 verses 21 and 24 is very good at showing the consequences of unbelief while John chapter 5 verse 40 discloses the origin of their skepticism. You are unwilling to come to me, that you may have life. Another class of doubters is really desirous of knowing the truth. As someone has expressed it, he wishes there was a God to whom he could come as a child to his father. However, he does not know whether there is or not, but he wants to know. He wishes he were an immortal spirit, but is not sure that he is anything more than an animated machine and he seeks for evidence. He would be glad to believe that this unknown God has provided for this unknown soul some way by which it could know both its Father and itself. 
He does not disbelieve in God or Christ, but he does not know and he wants to know. For such people there are two paths to the light, the intellectual and the moral. The first begins with the known and argues its way to the unknown. The creation proves a creator. Intelligent and moral beings imply a creator capable of producing such. The scientific method results only in a high degree of probability, it is true, but then we act every day on such probabilities and ought to act upon them in religion. The other method starts with the distinction between right and wrong, which we all know, and no moral man can doubt. Into this world has come Jesus of Nazareth. He meets our ideals, He commends Himself to our consciences, and He commands our will. If we look at His life and follow His teachings, we will soon find our way into the light. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 8, verse 12. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. John chapter 7, verse 17. Some years ago, a man came to a pastor's study in great perplexity. The pastor asked him to state his problem. First, there was the problem of the triune nature of God which he could not understand. Neither could he harmonize the foreknowledge of God with the free agency of man. Last of all, he wanted to know if a real dove came down on the head of Jesus when he was baptized. After he unburdened his heart, the pastor told him frankly that he could not explain a single one of these questions, but hoped to know sometime. If the man would come to him a hundred years later, he thought he could explain them if the man were still in doubt. Then he began to ask what these questions had to do with the duty of repentance and faith in Christ, insisting upon a good and sufficient reason for such delay. The man sat lost in thought for a few moments, and then rising, he said with great intensity, I will arise and go to my father. He put out his hand to the minister, held it for a moment, and then went quietly on his way. From that decision, he never wavered. He took up the duties of the Christian life at once, and soon joined the church. He became a very efficient worker and lived and died a strong Christian. Years after, when his pastor inquired what had become of his doubts, he answered that he had long since forgotten them and affirmed that from that memorable evening when he decided to obey God according to the best light he had, his doubts had never entered his mind. Dealing with Those Who Doubt the Divinity of Christ Call attention to the following facts and ask the doubter to read the passages of Scripture carefully and without prejudice. 1. Prophecies relating to Christ were uttered hundreds of years before He was born. Psalm 16, verses 9-11. through 11. 22, verses 1, 8, and 18. 68, verse 18. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Chapter 9, verses 1-6. through 6. Chapter 40, verses 9-11. through 11, And verse 53. These prophecies foretell where Christ should be born, the family of which He should be born, the way in which He should be received, a way entirely different from what would be expected, His death and the precise manner of it, His burial with all the accompanying circumstances, and His resurrection, ascension, and final victory. 2. The New Testament ascribes to Christ divine titles that the Old Testament applies to God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. In John chapter 20 verse 28, Thomas answered and said to him, 
my Lord and my God, and Jesus did not rebuke him. 3. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 and 10, the creation of the world is ascribed to Christ. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, we have the expression, the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Here, the Holy Spirit describes the blood of Christ as the blood of God himself. 4. Scriptures teach that Jesus Christ should be worshipped as God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, And let all the angels of God worship him. John chapter 5, verse 23, All will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 5. Jesus distinctly claims to be equal with God and entitled to the same honor and adoration. He also assumes divine authority and power. I and the Father are one, John chapter 10, verse 30. He who has seen me has seen the Father, John chapter 14, verse 9. When the high priest asked him at his trial if he were the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One, Jesus answered, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Mark chapter 14, verse 62. 6. In John chapter 5, verses 33, 36, 37, and 39, Jesus calls attention to the fourfold witness of John the Baptist, the Father who had borne witness to his sonship on several occasions by a voice from heaven, his own mighty miraculous works, and the scriptures of the Old Testament which prophesied of him and in him found their culmination. In John chapter 9, verses 35 through 37, Jesus says to the man who had been born blind, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said unto him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. 7. 1 John chapter 2, verses 22 and 23 shows that whoever denies the divinity of Jesus is a liar. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 shows that those who deny the divinity of Christ make God a liar and cannot be saved. For he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. In John chapter 8, verse 24, Jesus tells the Pharisees that unless they believe in him, they shall die in their sins. 8. John chapter 10 verse 33 shows that Jesus Christ was put to death by the Unitarians of his day. The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man make yourself out to be God. 9. The position that many take that Jesus is simply a good man but not divine is untenable. Either he was what he claimed to be, or else he was the greatest impostor the world has ever seen. That he was not an impostor is demonstrated by two things. First, his resurrection from the dead is the best attested fact in history. Surely God would not have vindicated the claim of an impostor by raising him from the dead, receiving him up into heaven, pouring out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and enabling innumerable signs and miracles in the name of Jesus. Second, 
That he was not an impostor is shown by the influence that his life and teaching have had upon the world, transforming the lives of millions, making bad men good and good men better, converting drunkards, murderers, and libertines into saints, and leading multitudes out of idolatry and sin into the light and liberty of the gospel. 10. Some claim that Jesus was thoroughly sincere in all he said but was mistaken and simply imagined himself to be the Son of God. They refer to what they call the contradictions in his testimony. For instance, in one place he says, I and my Father are one, and in another, the Father is greater than I. They say he cannot be one with God and at the same time the Son of God. A young man once raised this objection in the inquiry room, and the preacher replied, Suppose that you had been on earth when Jesus was here and heard him make these contradictory statements. You may have asked him, Master, I do not quite understand you. A little while ago you said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Now you say, My Father is greater than I. And suppose he had said in reply, My child, what if for your redemption from sin I voluntarily laid aside my eternal glory and suffered myself to be born of a woman? This would limit my being to the conditions of your nature, that I might, in that nature, offer to God a sacrifice for sin that would enable him to proclaim forgiveness of sins to the whole world. I am indeed one with the Father, but for the atonement I have voluntarily assumed an inferior position. Thus I might take your place and die, which I could not have done without taking a subordinate place and your very nature. So I sometimes speak of my eternal relation to God, and sometimes of my relation to Him as the messenger of the covenant sent forth to redeem. He listened attentively and then said, Did Christ ever make such an explanation? He was asked to read Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8. He read it and said, Wonderful! Wonderful! Yes, the Son of God made Himself of no reputation for me, took my nature and died on the cross for me. Then, looking up, He said, What do I have to do about it? Accept Him, believe on Him, and confess Him as your Savior. May I? Opening his Bible, the preacher turned to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, and read, That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me see that. He took the book, read it aloud, and then said, I do believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and I do acknowledge him as my Savior. The preacher and the inquirer, dropped upon their knees to thank God for his decision and to invoke his aid in remaining a Christian, and thus was the young rationalist converted.